You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 224. On today's show, we review and deconstruct Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Let's dig a little deeper, but if you haven't seen the movie, you might want to do that first. Spoilers ahead. Hey, just a quick note before we start. This entire first segment is full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, advance your podcast player 22 minutes and 36 seconds. I can't give you the exact time signature because there may be ads in the beginning or something, and I don't know how long your file actually is. So advance 22 minutes and 36 seconds from right, well, not right now, from when I say now, if you don't want to hear the first segment. So right now. All right. Welcome to the show, everybody. How's it going? Hello. So we saw on well we're recording this pretty late because on friday yesterday we went and saw with some friends of ours indiana jones and the dial of destiny and you know we had to do a pop culture episode about it because yes we love those and indiana jones is like the archaeology pop culture right yes i mean it's indiana jones (laughs) yeah so anyway real quick note here if you are listening to this on the audio podcast this is also on youtube at the archaeology podcast network's youtube channel yeah we're yeah, trying so, something new here where we recorded ourselves talking because I guess people might want a visual of yeah. what we're saying as we say it. Maybe. And, and if you're listening to this on YouTube, first off, hi. Second, <laughs> if uh, you're doing that, the audio isn't nearly as good as it on the podcast because no. I simply don't have time to match this good audio up with that audio. But at some point, we are going to get some some pretty decent wireless lav mics yeah. that will hook straight into the GoPro, mm-hmm. and then our audio will be will be good in there. But we just don't have those yet. So, and we're definitely not going to edit it to remove any mistakes and things that we make. So, yeah, yeah. I guess join in on YouTube if you want the quote right. unquote real experience. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. So. Yeah. If anybody wants to donate us the uh, uh, <laughs> DJI lav mics, two of them, um, with the transmitter, then. Uh, We'll take it. Uh, Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. I'll let you know where to send it. Okay. Yeah, that's going to happen. You'll also get a lifetime membership to the Archaeology Podcast (laughs) Network. Purchase not required. Okay. So let's talk about the movie. So in this episode, in segment one, we're going to break down the movie. Just again, if you haven't seen the movie, you need to go see it. Or if you're willing to just have spoilers because you're not going to see it, this will tell you exactly how the movie unfolds. Yes. I mean, like scene by scene almost. Yeah. So we're going to do that for the first segment. And then in the second and third segments, we're going to break down a lot of the things that were mentioned in the movie and see what the real history behind them is. Yep. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's get to it. Mm -hmm. The first and almost second, probably most contentious part of this entire movie (laughs) is it opens in World War II. It does. Somewhat. Nazis again. Nazis again. Yeah. (laughs) So it opens in World War II and it's Indiana Jones looking like Indiana Jones from 30 years ago. Looking like him. Kind of. Yeah. Like a sort of almost fuzzy, dreamy version of him a little bit. I don't know. It was pretty good. It wasn't fuzzy. It was pretty good, but... It was good. It was pretty good. You're you're not giving it good credit. It was good. It was. It's just that it you it does take you out of it a little bit because you know for sure that he's been CGI'd to look younger. Right. He's not 45 anymore. He's 80. Right. And you can tell that. Sure. But his voice is the same, so he still sounds like an 80-year-old man. Well, and yeah. he his body is the same, so he still moves like an 80-year-old man. His so, body's mostly the same. Mostly the yeah. same. But he has a stunt double for sure. I saw thing, a thing but. that said how they did this, and basically Harrison Ford said Lucas Arts and Lucas Films, they have thousands and thousands of frames of him from the other mm-hmm. Indiana Jones movies and you know from stuff that was in the movies and lots more that was not even in the movies yeah and they basically just stitched all that together but they did it as kind of like a mask because it's his eyes now his yeah. real eyes and his real lips yeah and mouth they wanted it to be to be real but they basically digitally reconstructed his face to be young from previous images that mm-hmm. they had and it's just amazing technology it is so, really cool yeah they just couldn't get rid of all that wisdom in his eyes though that must be what the I, don't know, I didn't see a problem. I don't know what it is, but just anyway, kidding. I'm yeah. Just kidding. So it opens there, and Indiana Jones is, of course, getting captured by the Nazis in scene one. Yeah, and he's getting caught, like basically trying to steal something out of this house or mansion that they have, where mm-hmm. they've got a lot of looted and stolen antiquities, probably from Jews and other people mm-hmm. that they have, of course, killed and sent off to concentration camps. Right. Everybody knows that the Nazis did that. They collected all the artworks and, and everything else. And they hunted for relics and yeah. things. That they're known for that, for sure. So, yeah. Right. And it seems pretty clear that they're looking for something particular right off the bat, and it's called the Lance of 
Lunginess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in segment two. We will. It's a pretty important thing, and Hitler wants it for its religious significance and yeah. its power it's supposed to have. So mm-hmm. it's supposed to be some sort of thing that just, you know, I don't know, it's going to help him win the war, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, we can talk more about that in segment two, because I did do a yeah. little bit of research on... Um, yeah. All that stuff. So, yeah. For sure. Yep. So, Dr. Wohler is the uh, German scientist that's in charge of, I guess, finding this thing and, and determining what it's all about. There's also like a, a Nazi colonel there. And so, there's this whole thing where the Nazi doctor guy, he kind of falls on the lance and he, he has a chance to touch it a little bit mm-hmm. at, in the open case and realizes instantly that it's an alloy and it's a fake. How did he know it was an alloy? I don't know. It's movies. Like, because he's science man and yeah. science man knows things like that. And... Probably. But then okay. Indy, Indy saw it, too, when he, he eventually yeah. found it. He's like, it's a fake. Yeah. And he knew so, immediately yeah. because it was an alloy. Because he yeah. was trying to get it as well. And they didn't have alloys back when this was supposedly made, you know, 2,000 well, years ago. Well, I mean, ago. they could have, but not this not, kind of alloy. Not this kind. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, knows it's a fake. Dr. Fuller knows it's a fake, mm-hmm. but Indy's just at the point where he's trying to get out of there. Yeah. So Indy's colleague, Baz, is also there. Yeah. Basil. It, yes. And he's taken on the, this train. Yeah. And it becomes an escape, essentially, at this point, rather yeah. than a stealing or recovering of artifacts. It's, they just want to get out of there. So Indy ends up on the train, mostly trying to rescue his friend, I think. That was kind of his main mostly, purpose there. Until he found the Antikythera device. Until that point. Yeah. Yes. So he found this thing <laughs> called the Antikythera device, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. And we're going to link to a few other resources, including an episode of the Pseudoarchaeology podcast yes. that uh, Dr. Andrew Kinkella did. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that all in the second segment. But it's half of the Antikythera device. Right. You need the other half to make it all work. Yeah. And like and the Nazis had it and they didn't even know it was significant. Right. But Dr. Voller was like, hey, y'all, this is like super important. And then Indy saw it and he realized the same significance. So now they're setting up this like great battle of the yeah. artifact hunters. We've got, you know, we've got right. the, the German Nazi on one side and we have Indiana Jones on the other side. That's that's what they're setting up here. Yeah. But two important things happened during the escape. One, Voller appeared to have been hit real hard in the face at full speed by something along the train track and was <laughs> yeah. knocked off the train. And like had no scarring and like right. looks normal later on. But, you you know, you yeah, take that kind of stuff. So anyway, it is. <laughs> yeah. So that so that happened. And then yeah. they end up jumping off the train into a river as it crashes. Like one of those super tall bridges, like a Harry yeah. Potter bridge, train bridge off down into the water. And they yeah. manage that. No problem. No injuries. All sure. Good. Sure. So, and sure. of course, yeah. Of course, uh, Baz thought that the the artifact was in the river, and, and Indy's like, "Nope, it's right here in my pouch that never loses anything, <laughs> or comes off of my body." Right. right. So the only thing that ever comes off is his hat, but it's only a couple feet away. Yeah, no, it never yeah. goes far. He's always got it, and right. the whip too. He he always manages to get his hands back on that. Right. Yeah. So he just pulls it out and he hands it yeah. to Baz as they're walking mm-hmm. up. the The British have taken the train because mm-hmm. they were in the process of doing that. Yep. So that's where it is. So then we move on to 1969 with old Indiana Jones in his underwear and T-shirt. Yes. And passed out asleep in front of the TV. The opening scene of Indian <laughs> old Indiana Jones is just so perfect, and they they created this like aging hero who he still has the school scene you know there's a school scene in every single indiana jones movie yeah but this time it's like students falling asleep not students that are in love with him and it's it really is like what would indiana jones be like yeah. in 30 years of just like he's being a professor he's become an antiquity <laughs> he has yeah and, so and like he's not like like a happy person i don't no. think not not at this point so yeah and on this day it's the day in 1969 yeah. after the apollo moon landing and it's the new york city's throwing this huge ticker tape parade and so everybody's celebrating that but also his department when he gets into work they are celebrating his retirement yeah i actually just realized that it's like celebration of the future on one side and the yeah. whole country is wrapped up in that but he's like still kind of it's a transition. steeped in the past, you know, yeah. doesn't necessarily want to be there maybe, but like is stuck there. And well, yeah. not only that, but you know, he's 80 in real life, but he's way older in this because, you know, he's lived a lot longer because of the, uh, oh, the cup he drank from the grail. <laughs> he drank from the grail. Yeah. It prolonged his life a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. it. I remember in that movie, it, it only prolongs your life if you don't go beyond the seal, like you can live forever, uh-huh. but it like cured him it, it fixed his bullet wounds yeah, and then any, right. any ailments he may have had it prolonged his life in that way yeah so anyway yeah point is he's retiring yeah so in his class 
you know, when he's asking questions and nobody knows the answers because they haven't done the reading. Because on his last day of he's retirement, he's still teaching a class, but then yeah. he's like, what? what? Okay, I don't know whatever. who's taking that That's class fine. over. That's but... fine. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Baz's daughter, who Indy hasn't seen since she was eight, he's her godfather, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, they haven't seen each other in 20 years. She is now an archaeologist and she's giving all these answers and she's really nice and fun and he meets up with her and they start talking about stuff and she says, you know, uh, Baz is dead her mm-hmm. father and she is now an archaeologist working on her doctorate and she's got all of her father's papers mm-hmm. and his research after he was going insane about the antikythera device and, and finding the other half and what it could do and she wants to find it now she thinks that it's lost right. she thinks it's in that river that they yeah. skipped the train from indy eventually is like you know what your dad went crazy on this but i'm sure you'll be okay so i'm gonna take you over to the school to the archives mm-hmm. here it is i found it and, yeah. and I, I took it from him in order to Hopefully make him sane again, but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And that is the first big twist of the movie. So Helena knew that Indy had the device. She remembered him taking it from her mm-hmm. father. And so I think she basically made up the story about being an archaeologist and going yeah. on to do her doctorate work or whatever. Also that she would get Indy to reveal to her where he was storing it. And yeah, yeah so she's, she's a, a thief. And before we learn all that... The Dr. Voller is in the town and he's after her. Him and his henchmen end up showing up at the archives at the university. They yeah. kill a few professors and secretary people. Yeah. And then come into the archives and Indy and Helena have to run out. Well, Helena grabs the antikythera device. Yeah. And then closes this gate behind her and Indy's left there. And that's when he realizes she has been manipulating yeah. him. Yeah. It and, kind of all happens at the same time. I yeah. mean, like the guys show up to take the thing and he realizes Helena's not really. Who she says she is. I mean, she yeah. is, but she isn't. And yeah. So, you know, begin the first, well, I guess second big chase scene of the movie where they're running through yeah. New York in the middle of a parade and these guys are chasing after him. Kind of. She goes away. Right. And then they grab Indy because he can't get away. And in an attempt to save his own skin, he kicks over a bunch of shelves and destroys a bunch of precious artifacts. Yeah, no. There's yeah. that. <laughs> there but, is uh, that. Because they're anyway, in a storage facility. Yeah. Anyway, they overpower him and they end up putting him in a truck and try to escape with him. He ends up getting away and, and meets up with Sala from the first movie mm-hmm. and from Egypt. And he's pretty cool. Yep. But, so we need to kind of rapidly go through some of this stuff, though. So at this point, Helena's got the Antikythera device. Voller doesn't know where he's at. He's he's Voller's off to Tangiers. We'll find out why in a minute. Yeah. Indy talks to Sala, who knows all about Helena, and says, yeah, she's this huge, like, bad person who just tries to, you know, find and sell antiquities. And yeah. she's running in an auction out of a hotel in Tangiers. Tangiers. Right. So yeah. Indy's like, great, going to Tangiers. Let's do this. So he goes there, finds her actually in the middle of selling the device. Yeah, good then, timing. But. Yeah. And then <laughs> tries to, uh, you know, tell her the sale's over. I'm taking you with me and I'm taking this. And, you know, basically, long story short, a whole bunch of stuff happens. Somebody else ends up having it. And then there was a chase through the city streets with, you know, them trying to find the Antikythera device. They didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. They were trying to get away from these other guys and they were trying to get it back. They ended up just losing it all. And the Nazis had the Antikythera device. They didn't have the other half, though. Yeah, they only have half of it at this point. It's just half. And it's a perfectly preserved piece of metal, but only half of it. Right. Yeah. So at this point, they do some sleuthing and they realize from Helena's father's notes that he had worked out that the other half was probably the the location of that was probably Archimedes tomb because mm-hmm. this whole thing was apparently developed by Archimedes. We'll right. talk about that later. Yeah. But he says the other half is probably at Archimedes tomb. But where's Archimedes tomb? Right. And he says the boat that was carrying the first half had a hundred Roman soldiers on it and they were probably guarding something that said they were looking for the other half. Yeah. They were looking for the tomb. Which, where the, yeah. which indicates they had something that told them where that was. And they mm-hmm. called that the Graphicos. We'll yeah. get to that later too. Yeah. So they said, okay, great. Well, we need to go find a boat and a diver. They did Antonio Banderas. And, you know, apparently he's a good diver, but he's old now. And <laughs> one of Indy's old buddies. Yeah. yeah. So they go down, they actually find the Graphicos. They bring it back up to the boat, but waiting for them at the top is Voller, the Nazi mm-hmm. and all his henchmen. Of course, know, and we're glossing over this, but this was one of my favorite parts of the movie because it's like that typical like find the clues, follow the clues, find the thing. You know, the whole like, it, like that. well, but that part was specifically that. Yeah, that was really fun, and then yeah. the the next part too. But I, I enjoyed that that part. Yeah. I mean, it sucked because you know the Nazis were there, and then all the people on the boat, except for our heroes, yeah. were killed. So by the Nazis, by the Nazis, yeah, yeah, yeah. that happens. Yeah, so Helena works it all out because it's written in a cipher that we'll talk about later 
but she works it all out. She reads it, but she doesn't quite tell him the whole truth. And mm. while she's doing that, she pulls a stick of dynamite out of her back pocket and Indy lights it without the Nazis seeing. And they kind of blow up the ship, but mm-hmm. they take the Graficos with them and get on the Nazis boat. Mm-hmm. So they're heading off. And she's like, okay, so that's not actually how it's read. Here's how it's read. Indy figures something else about it and says, well, that can't be totally true. It turns out it's made out of wax and he melts the whole thing. And there's a disc inside that tells him where Archimedes' tomb is. Mm-hmm. Or kind of. It tells him in code. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they figure that out. And it's this thing called the Ear of Dionysus, which we'll also talk about later, which is in Sicily. Because mm-hmm. Archimedes is from Syracuse, which is in Sicily. Right. And it used to be Greek back then. It was a Greek city-state. Mm-hmm. And now it's Italian. Now it's Italian. Yeah. 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 So anyway, they go there. They solve these other clues and they end up finding the tomb of Archimedes. More clue solving. I love this part too. This part was really fun. Exactly. They find all these clues and then they find the other half of the Antikythera device in Archimedes' dead hands. Mm -hmm. Also a modern wristwatch on his arm Mm -hmm. and propellers on a phoenix on the outside of his coffin. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, what the hell? Because it was was theorized. We haven't actually talked about this yet. That Baz figured out that the Antikythera device wasn't for determining where the heavens are. It was for pointing to a location in time and saying, I want to go here. And the device would show you where a time fissure would open up that mm-hmm. would take you to that point. Yeah. So yeah. the time travel enters the picture. And time travel. I think some people might be kind of mad about that. I don't know. I kind of I thought it was fun. Yeah. It's like it's it's adding the magical component to yeah. Indiana Jones, which they all have that. But doing it in a way that's. Yeah. It's not probable at all, but it's, it's fun and it's not offensive to anybody, I don't think. It was just kind of fun. So right. I like that part a lot. So while they're in the tomb, Voller takes both halves of the Antikythera mechanism and puts them together and starts like putting this thing together and, and it starts running the dials around. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, oh, I have the power of that whole thing. <laughs> and then he shoots Indy. And then the girl and the boy, we didn't talk about the boy, but she's got a little boy who's a thief that com- kind of goes around with her. Yeah, they're kind of going for like some short round yeah. th- comparisons maybe, but yeah. it I don't know. I don't think that really worked out too well. But anyway, right. turned, he was helpful. In he the was end. helpful. Yeah. yeah, his name's Teddy. So they get away. Some of the henchmen's guys dies, but Voller takes... Indiana Jones and everybody else and they get on a plane and it's actually an old I don't know what kind of plane it was it's an old like World War II style mm-hmm. plane something that would fit in right. in Germany in 1939 which is where they were trying to get to exactly yeah. and so when they take off that's when he tells his whole plan he wants to go back to 1939 kill Hitler mm-hmm. and take his place and stop him from invading Poland because he said I watched Hitler make all these mistakes we could have he started a, a fire that could have burned a thousand <laughs> years and I want that to happen yeah but he's like oh but I can do it better exactly like, I see all these mistakes yeah. and I'm not going to make those mistakes I'm going right. to show up and, and do this in a way that works so that we can rule the world so him and his okay. him and his cronies <laughs> they dress up in 1930s German yeah. military outfits and get on this plane and he, he dials in the dial and then they they take off and they see this fissure and that's where they're headed but while they're taking off Helen is riding a motorcycle she jumps in through the landing gear she's the stunt person here yeah and then she gets on the plane and then Teddy apparently learned how to fly by talking to American pilots in a bar <laughs> and he steals a small single engine plane which has the pilot sleeping in the back that didn't know. Yeah. Teddy takes off and he's following the plane. Yeah. And so they end up getting close to the fissure and Indy says, you're wrong. This isn't going to take us to 1939. He's like, Archimedes, the coordinates you have didn't account for continental drift because it wasn't observed yet. Yeah. He couldn't have known about it. Mm -hmm. So wherever you're thinking you're going, you're going somewhere else. And the German was like, no, you're crazy. But like five seconds before they hit the fissure, he's like, son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. You're probably right. Yep. And he tries to get him to turn around, but it sucks him in because yep. that's mm-hmm. how fissures work. Yep. So it sucked in both planes. Time fissures, right. which are real, apparently. They get to the other side and he says, that looks like Sicily. I see a bunch of boats down there. It must be World War II. And they're like, It's Yay. like a battle. It's like a battle. Yeah. Like they're all, It looks like a battle down there. It's a battle taking place. Yeah. But when they get closer, it turns out what's being lobbed back and forth between the ships are like fiery cannonballs. Yes. And spears. And there's trebuchets on land yeah. throwing fiery cannonballs. It is definitely right. not from World War Two. <laughs> it is instead... The Battle of Syracuse. World War negative 48. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually not a world war. Yeah. It's a Battle of Syracuse, the one that Archimedes actually dies in. We talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But it's 214 BC. Mm. And so 
the Germans freak out. They don't know what's going on. They're trying to get back to the Fisher, but the plane's been hit by spears, apparently. Yeah, the and... spears can puncture, you know, <laughs> yeah. a metal well, metal ship. They or, were like um, the big airplane. ones that Archimedes could fire. Yeah, like, that's true. I mean, they, they were like yeah. coming off of a, a mechanism that would fire it. So they hit the, the plane. Indy and Helena end up parachuting out of the plane. Indy's still shot in the chest, mm-hmm. but they end up parachuting out of the plane onto land when the kid also lands the plane on land. The kid and the pilot's awake yeah. at this point. So that poor pilot, his character was only there to like help land that plane. Yeah, I don't you even know if he had any words. You, you know, you learn yeah. nothing about him. You don't know anything about right. him. He's just there to land this plane. Yeah. So the the Germans ultimately crash. They 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 all die and they crash. Archimedes goes over to the crash because he sees this whole thing happen and they're calling the big plane a dragon. And he finds miraculously the Antikythera device and the guy's watch, and he grabs both of them, mm-hmm. and then goes over to Indy. They speak in presumably Greek, and yeah. it turns out they work it out that this actually is not a time travel device. It is, but it only goes one place. Yeah, Sicily. Yeah, two fourteen BC. Yep. It's like, is it a perpetual link between where they found it in sixty nine? And then 214 BC. No, like, will it always like loop like that? It doesn't loop. It loops, It goes from wherever you're at to 214 BC. Oh. But if the fissure is still open, you can get back to where you came from. Hmm. But if it closes, presumably you can only go back to 214 BC ever hmm. again. Interesting time travel yeah. stuff going on here that you just have to like go with it. And... I know. They're saying he invented it so that yeah. they could have help from the future. And like by not accounting for continental drift, somehow no matter what coordinates you put I, in, like you're going to the same place every time. I think that might just be something Indy said. Uh-huh. And then the German realized that's probably true. Oh, but what they didn't realize that it's that, always going to take you back to the same it place. Doesn't, yeah, yeah. The coordinates are meaningless. It always goes back right. to this one place. Yeah. Probably. Not only place, but place and time. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, they all realize that. And uh, Archimedes basically says, well, here, you can have this one because I'm building one. So they give mm-hmm. him the dial back. He's got the Lance 2 from the plane. They've got everything they need. And then also he, Indy's like, I want to die here. Because he's he's hurt, yeah. he's injured. He's like, I can he's learn like, so much from here. This is the most amazing thing that's ever yeah. happened. I'm in I'm in history. I want to die in history. Right. <laughs> but Helen is like, not so much, buddy. Not this day. And she yeah. punches him. And but then one punch, lights one punch, out. He's out. Well, he's eighty. Yeah, yeah. probably ninety. Maybe 100. I know. But I just saw him like literally kick the ass of like a bajillion Nazis, and then some he's worn out. Some Greeks too. But you Give know, break. one punch from Helena and bam, out. Okay, I mean she's yep. young and 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 strong. She and, is. You know. She's amazing. She is yeah. amazing. By the way, in this movie, yeah, she's she pretty is good. The best character. Yeah, but yeah. So they open the scene back up. The last scene of the movie in 1969 with Indy getting out of bed. He's all bandaged up. We don't know how long he's been laying there. But he gets up and he's wandering around his house going, what, in the actual hell? Yep. And he sees Helena sitting on the couch and she's all happy and, and you know, hasn't absconded with anything. The Antikythera device, the lance and everything is just sitting next to him on the bed. So while that's there, she's maybe turned a new leaf. And then in walks Teddy and Marion, who we haven't seen before. <laughs> right. And him and Marion were getting a divorce because his son, Mutt, died in Vietnam. The one from Crystal Skulls the that one nobody from Crystal liked. Skulls, yeah. yeah. So he died enlisting in Vietnam and... It broke Marion up so bad that she basically blamed Indy and then filed for divorce. Yeah. Not a good look for Marion, but okay. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, this brought her back, I guess, realizing she could lose him or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then they recreated a pretty, pretty cool scene from the first movie, which like, was neat. Like legit recreated. I don't even want to spoil that part. No. It's yeah. Because yeah. it was neat. It was, if you know, yeah. you know, right? <laughs> yeah. And then at the very end, right before they close out, Indy grabs his hat off a clothesline, mm-hmm. indicating, you know, the series might continue, but I don't know by who. I mean, Harrison you know? Ford says no, no way. Oh, there's no way he could. No way, no how. He's yeah. done. But how could he? He'd be in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that is the synopsis quick and dirty of the movie, although not as quick as I wanted it to be, 25 minutes. But uh, yeah, well, yeah. it's a long movie. I know. It's a long movie, so settle in for three hours because previews and everything by the time it's over. Oh, it's, yeah. Three hours it's for sure. Lot. Yeah. So, all right. So now we're going to go take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get inside the movie and talk about the real history behind some of the things that were mentioned. Back in a minute. Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code TAS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code 
T-A-S at liquidiv.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 224, the Indiana Jones edition, Indiana <laughs> Jones 5. So yep. no more spoilers. You can uh, be confident that you're not going to see any more of that. So that's good. But we're going to talk about stuff that's inside the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you skipped the first segment because you didn't want any spoilers, this just kind of tells you about the things that are in the movie, but like not what role they necessarily play mm-hmm. or, or what they were. So just the, the, yeah, yeah, the things that they're going to encounter along the way, but not the, yeah. the actual things. So and I was but. I was trying to take a little few notes during the movie. So these are kind of in order in the way that they appear, sort of. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go, we didn't really talk about what we felt about the movie if we liked it and what oh, we thought yeah. Yeah. so i posed a question to you before we started what's what's your rating one to ten what do you rate that movie as far as indiana jones movies i would probably rate it an eight mm-hmm. only because it's not a ten because if ten is the best indiana jones movie and one is the worst indiana jones movie mm-hmm. the best one i still think is the holy grail i just yeah. really like that one put them in order like what order would you put oh, them? oh holy grail raiders kali ma oh holy grail yeah. five Oh, you put so, five after Holy yeah, Grail. Three, five, one, three, five, no, yeah, three, three five, one, one, four, two. You would put crystal <laughs> skulls above Temple of Doom? What is wrong with you? Just didn't buy Kelly Ma. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah. the crystal skulls is worse. Okay, I would say, I give it an eight as well, actually. And that's sort of like mm-hmm. in, in movie world. Amongst all movies, I thought it was really great. There was a couple moments where there was some extraneous crap that you didn't need. Like the CIA is involved. We didn't even talk about that yeah. in our synopsis. The CIA is in there. Why? How? What? I don't know. Go watch the movie and you'll find out. I'd but, probably give it a six in the context of all movies. Would you? Yeah. Oh, I, it was a pretty I, basic plot. It was. Yeah, I guess it was. I still yeah. go with eight because I I enjoyed it. Yeah. And maybe it's the nostalgia factor that's bumping it up a couple sure. notches for, not for me. But okay, so my ranking is three. One, five, mm. two, and then four. Because right. Crystal Skulls should just not yeah. exist. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a great Indiana Jones movie, but it wasn't bad either. So it we're was, not going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. All right, we got <laughs> Plenty of no people have talked about how yeah. bad that is. <laughs> so Rachel did the research on segment yes. two and I did segment three. So yeah, okay. what are we going to talk about All right, first? so uh, moving through the movie and the things that they encounter, both the artifacts and the places and the all the different things. The first thing that they encounter when they're in that scene, the the prequel scene, mm-hmm. not prequel, but the prologue scene, I guess you could call I it. Yes, it was the first Flash- 25 flashback minutes of the movie. Scene. Yeah. The Lance of Longinus is the artifact that they're hunting for. And that is a real artifact. Yeah. So it's known as the Holy Spear or the Spear of Destiny or the Holy sword spirit of destiny wasn't there a librarian movie called the spirit of destiny oh was there yeah with noah wiley i didn't watch any of those actually i don't know oh those were so bad and good but this is called the dial of destiny so i thought it was yeah. interesting that it's also called the spirit of destiny everything dealing with jesus christ yeah, is the destiny. Yeah, yeah, but i, I guess yeah. the dial of destiny had yeah. nothing to do with jesus but yeah. still okay so what's the lance of longinus it's alleged to have been the lance that pierced the side of jesus as he hung on the cross yeah and the mention that we have of this is actually in the Gospel of John, which I believe is the gospel that was written a bit later than the other ones. So we're already in shaky territory as to whether this is mm-hmm. real or not when you're writing 400 years later, like facts can get missed. But anyway, in the Gospel of John, a Roman soldier named Longinus stabbed Jesus in the side with his lance to make sure that he was dead because they had to pull him off the cross to get him into his his yeah. tomb before the Sabbath, basically. And side note, this is horrific, (laughs) but if he wasn't dead yet, the plan was to break his legs so that he would die faster because that was a thing they did in crucifixions to make people die faster when they were not dying fast enough. That is horrific and terrible. It's hard to break somebody's leg. 
I, he was probably uh, malnourished at that point from being in prison, sure. so maybe not. But and he'd been hanging for a while already yeah. too. So like, break somebody's I, legs though. I don't know. You just hit him real hard with a stick. Maybe. Yeah. Rocks uh, in the slingshot. Rocks hard. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, that's what the lance of Longinus is supposed to be, and there are at least four major relics currently in this world that are claiming to be this lance. There's one in St. Peter's Basilica in mm. Rome. That I is the one I was there. with probably the best claim. Oh, you didn't really? No. Well, I didn't go inside. I don't know that it's on display, actually, but oh, I it might go inside, be. But yeah. What, I'm not going to go into too much about each of these different ones because mm-hmm. there's one in particular that I think they're probably basing this the story on. Uh, but there's one in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. That's the one with the best claim. And it's not really the one that the story probably comes from, I don't think. There's one in Vienna, which is German territory. So yeah. there's one in Armenia and there is one in Antioch. Okay. So going to the one that I think that is most likely where they pulled this story from for the movie is the one in Vienna. And... That one first popped up in the 10th century. So 900s. That's a long ways after, you know, the crucifixion. Yeah. But sure, let's go with it. And it's it was a thousand years. It is. It's a thousand <laughs> years after, but it's also a thousand years ago from yeah. here. So it gives it, you know, a little bit better claim than some of the other yeah. ones that have that pop up later in history. Hard to prove anything from a thousand years ago. Though. I know it's a thousand years on either side. Like you're yeah. you're losing the beginning and you're losing the Unless it was found in the side of a 33-year-old Jew. (laughs) I don't know. Right. (laughs) So it was passed around. There's a whole like history of it in various different accounts of it getting passed around. But the important part is it ended up as part of the Imperial Regalia collection in Vienna, which was owned by the Habsburgs. And that would be in the 1800s sometime. Mm. Now, this is where I think they really connected to Hitler, this particular one. In Mein Kampf, which is the book that Hitler wrote when he was in prison... He wrote that the Imperial Regalia, and in quotes here, were still preserved in Vienna and appeared to act as magical relics rather than as the visible guarantee of an everlasting bond of union. When the Habsburg state crumbled to pieces in 1918, the Austrian Germans instinctively raised an outcry for union with their German fatherland. Hmm. So he's basically saying, hey, y'all, give us back our lands. Yeah. And also saying that it has magical qualities, too. So <laughs> that's that's where I think that this is the the lance that is is referenced in the movie. So the Nazis actually had what they consider was the real thing. I think they yeah. do. I think they did. Yeah. Like in real life, they actually did have this. Yeah. And there's even a story about how they sent it somewhere else when there was some fighting that got too close to where it was being stored. Mm-hmm. And because it was one of the most important pieces of that collection, they actually hid it behind this wall. And the Monuments Men, mm-hmm. you know, of the movie that came out like 10 years ago with George Clooney, yeah. actually went in and found this hiding place and brought brought it out and got it back with the rest of the collection. Yeah. So in real life, they definitely had it. So, yeah. So another thing to talk about in this segment is one of the central themes of of Indiana Jones really mm-hmm. is Nazis yeah. and Hitler's obsession with Christian artifacts. Yes. So how, what kind of basis did you find in reality is that super obsessed? Like yeah. that is for real. And actually the Nazi party was this fringe thing that sort of started as like a, a cult fraternity basically. Mm. So like it is deeply rooted in, in that side of the world. And it's not just Christian, it's everything. It's magical. Yeah. Everything The the Nazis sent people out to find magical things all over the world. I'm going to stop there because I didn't do any more specific research than that. But mm-hmm. the short story is that, yes, they were definitely into Christian stuff. And it's because they thought that it had magical qualities, potentially. Okay. So the next thing we were skeptical of in the movie that mm-hmm. I instantly wrote down in my notes during the theater <laughs> was that when they went down to the other half, well, just watch the movie, you'll understand. Yes. But there was another half of the boat that wasn't investigated where the Antikythera device was found. Right. And that other half was much deeper. Sponge divers couldn't go down that far, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. they decided to go down there to find this thing called the Graphicos. And mm-hmm. one of the things they found down there were the 2,000-year-old-plus skeletons of the Roman of, centurions. Of the soldiers yeah. that were on the boat and when it's like... We both looked at each other and we're, we're like, like, skeletons? 2,000-year-old intact articulated skeletons yeah. leaning up against the side like they didn't fight to get out when the boat went down. <laughs> Not to mention all the wood of the boat, too, that they're just like leaning up against. Relatively intact. Yeah, because yeah. this wreck is just like sitting on the bottom of the ocean as if it's not been touched by water or time right. or anything. Right. The little know. ocean we call the Mediterranean. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. I'm smart. <laughs> right. Anyway, yes, that. Yeah. So, so, so what's, yeah. The, what's the truth there? We did both were really up? skeptical. Yeah, I did. So... 
okay, typically, yes, skeletons that are under the water, they're going to decompose in a couple years maximum and they'll be gone. The fish will eat them. They'll get washed away like they are gone. They certainly are not in situ where they would have dropped when a ship sank. You might get a little longer than that. There have been some reports of like, you know, sailors from like the 1700s and 1600s where they find skeletons in that situation. But it's got to be really, really specific preservation environment. Not well, yeah. the case here. And, and unless there's some sort of matrix like soil holding the skeleton together when the yeah. the things that hold your bones together, the tendons and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like degrades, your bones fall apart. Yeah. That wouldn't totally. last for 2000 no, plus years. It just wouldn't. And, and yeah. then you have a pile of bones rather than an articulated skeleton. Right. So, however, and this is so cool, and I am positive that the people who wrote this plot found the same article I did or something about it and came up with this idea in part because of it, because the antikythera mechanism was found on a ship under the water. And on that ship, in the process of excavating it, they did find a body. Yeah. Now, that body was buried under the seafloor, and that is why it was preserved. It wasn't just sitting out against a wall in this wreck. Yeah. And the remains were also underneath a foot of ceramic shirts. So it almost mm. seems like like a, a shelf tipped over on him while the ship was sinking, <laughs> trapped him there. And then his body was buried very rapidly under soil or yeah. sand or whatever was at the bottom of the ocean. And it, it fully preserved him like excellent preservation. I saw pictures of the skull where you can really see like the the little lines mm-hmm. where the the skull pieces come together. So, yeah. I mean, we found thousands of year old bones in Miami mm-hmm. of humans that were, I mean, looked like they came out of the ground yesterday because they were preserved in this really fresh limestone solution hole yeah. that had soil in it and clean water running through yeah, it. Yeah, the right kind yeah. of soil and being, you know, protected really mm-hmm. under the the water like that, it, it actually preserved it. So, yeah. so, yeah, that ship that the Antikythera mechanism was on had a skeleton and they think there could be more. This article was a few years old and I didn't actually see any follow-up from it because they were going to do some DNA analysis and stuff like that. So it might be interesting to, to, you know, check in on that at some point yeah. when the researchers get that done and find out what else they have found. So, yeah. Okay. So the final thing is the Antikythera mechanism itself mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah. What, uh, what's the story around that? Yeah. So like we just were talking about, it was found in 1901 in a shipwreck off the coast of Greece. And it was found by sponge divers, 150 feet below the surface. And sponge divers are basically like that old school metal like diving suit that yeah. you can you can think of. And then they have these tubes that run back up to the surface that are providing the oxygen for them. Mm-hmm. I think they were called diving bells. Were they? Okay. Or or no, not the. I guess that was the ones that were open completely. Mm-hmm. But this had actual an actual like glass helmet. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. Did, did you find any evidence? Or anything mentioning that the ship was actually broken two halves and the other half no. was 150 feet deeper? No, no, no. I think okay. that was made up for the movie. That was a central context of Indiana Jones because the sponge divers couldn't have made it down there, yeah. so they couldn't have looked. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody had thought about that, apparently. Uh, yeah. Well, and also in the movie, I think it mentioned something about only going like 70 feet, but then the full wreck was like... 300. Yeah. And the, these sponge divers went 150 feet below yeah. the surface, and that is way too far for sponge diving too. But they were pushing the limits of the technology at the time. They were probably mm-hmm. 30, 30 or 40 feet further than was safe to do with that kind of equipment. But oh, sure. they did it anyway. Well, and How did they even know how many feet down they were, to be honest? Oh, that's a fair point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, they probably had ways of measuring it even Maybe. back then. But, but yeah, they were definitely pushing the limits of that technology. And it was yeah. probably very unsafe. But they did it and they found this wreck. And it was super exciting for them because there wasn't just this antikythera mechanism. In fact, it was the least important thing found at that time. Yeah. It was just a hunk of metal to them with gears in it that they knew was looked cool, but they didn't know what it was. And what they actually found was like all these statues and they pulled up tons of like really well-preserved intact statues from the ship. Mm-hmm. And that was why it was so exciting and why they kept going down and diving and excavating more back in 1901. Right. Now the wreck itself is from approximately 100 BCE and the antikythera mechanism, it is made from bronze. There's gears. It's got these really nice, neat triangular teeth around the edges of all the gears. There's different rings. And and one of the rings is divided into degrees. We've got all these things that say something about like navigation and yeah. space and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Like that's the impression you get when you look at it. All we have are fragments. And those fragments represent a third of the complete object it is definitely not split into two perfect halves that just right. clink back together. That's yeah. not a thing. <laughs> In the movie, it's absolutely perfect. It is absolutely yeah. perfect. There's no nothing on it. No. If you look at pictures of the actual thing, it's like 
green, obviously, because it was bronze and it's, yeah. you know, over time it's turned green. And it's sort of this, this conglomerated hunk of metal. We don't know at the time when they first found it, they didn't know anything except they saw little gears and, and levers and things sticking out of it. So they knew it was something special, but that was all they could say. It wasn't yep. until x-rays in the 70s and 90s showed that the device probably replicated the pass of the sun and the moon and planets because they could see inside of it mm-hmm. using the x-ray technology. And then, of course, that at that time left an opening for the Eric von Danikins of the world <laughs> like- to claim that it was alien. Yeah. I like how you've got a spelling error on our notes here, and it says uh-huh. Eric Con Dan- It Danikin. does, yeah, yeah, because he's a con. <laughs> yeah, he is a con. Yeah, absolute con. Go listen to Pseudo Arc episode ninety six, and you can get the full Pseudo Arc episode of the the rumors and myths mm-hmm. that swirl around this thing. We're not going to go into that here. Suffice it to say, it was a thing that tracked planets and stuff, and we didn't. That was all we really knew about it until two thousand six. Yeah, in 2006, they had new CT scans that gave a better view of the internal workings of the device. Mm-hmm. And also previously hidden inscriptions that you just couldn't see because it's all encrusted around. Yeah. Uh, it would have been about the size of a shoebox and housed in a slightly larger wooden box, more than likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way it worked is there was a knob on the side to wind these gears that all like fit in together. And it would move these rotating hands. And the hands represented the sun, the moon, and the five visible-to-the-eye planets that they would have known about back then. And that would be Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Earth, of course, would be the center because they thought the Earth was the center of the universe and they didn't know about us going around the sun. So, yeah. Yeah, Copernicus hadn't discovered that we weren't the center of the universe yet. Right. And Galileo hadn't invented the telescope. Yeah. But they they were still so freaking smart. They still (laughs) planned in retrograde. Yeah. Because, and I am not going to try to explain retrograde right here. I do know that it it makes the planets look like they're going backwards sometimes. And when you're charting things, you have to plan for that so that you know when it's going to look like it's jumping back. And they even planned that into this thing. I mean, real quick, retrograde's not too hard to understand. (laughs) It really is. If you imagine the planets all moving at different rates around the sun and different Mm -hmm. distances, from your own point of view, the planets could appear to move backwards across the sky because you're passing it, whether it's on the other side of the sun oh, from yeah, you yeah. or it's on the same side of the sun from you. Oh, yeah. And depending okay. on where you're at, it just looks like it's going the other way because right. we're going faster than the planet. Mm-hmm. So it's going to look like it's going, quote, backwards. Right. Yeah. So. But the fact that anyway. 2000 years ago, they could plan oh, that yeah. into this mechanism. That's freaking insane. Well, and one of the other things I'd read, too, is they used it to plan when the Olympic Games should be, too. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. So there's inscriptions on it that explain which stars rise and set and on what date that's happening. There's a calendar on one of the dials. Other dials are showing the timing of lunar and solar eclipses. So this mechanism was like this all-encompassing, here's what's going on in the sky kind of a thing. Really, really cool. Yep. Oh, and the knob on the side that would move these hands, they could roll it forward or backwards to see what was coming or what had happened in the past. So Is that yeah. what would send you forward and backwards in time when you got your ship up to 88 miles per hour? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Gosh, you know what though? That knob on it, the going forward and backwards thing must be how they got to this whole time travel fissure thing in the movie I mean, a maybe. little bit maybe right maybe because it's it is what it's doing it's predicting the future of the heavens if you will mm-hmm. and the thing is is that's completely predictable and it's not time travel it's yeah. just predictable right and so yeah. yeah so that's the antikythera mechanism really really a cool device and the fact that they came up with it 2000 years ago it's just amazing but who created it is the big question right yeah so we have a couple thoughts according to cicero Poseidon Aeneas. He's an ancient philosopher from Rhodes, and he made a similar model of the heavens in the first century BCE. Mm-hmm. So that's timing wise, that makes sense of what we're talking about here. And then James Evans, he's a historian of astronomy at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. He thinks that the specific eclipse cycles on the one that they found is actually Babylonian in origin. Yeah. And because of that, there is the idea that. It was made by Hipparchus, Mm -hmm. which was an astronomer in Rhodes who was known for blending the arithmetic of the Babylonians and the geometry of the Greeks. It's pretty cool thing to be known for. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
And then finally, we get to our our man from the movie, Archimedes. Yeah. Cicero also wrote of a bronze device made by Archimedes in the third century BCE. Yeah. Could be this one. Could be that one. Yeah. All right. So let's learn about who Archimedes is on the other side of the break and some other stuff from the movie. Back in a minute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com try. Go to shopify.com try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com try. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 224, and we're going to wrap up this discussion with some other facts from the movie that we actually, well, other fictions from the movie that we kind of turned into facts. <laughs> I do love this, yeah. though. The movie did the whole, like, blending fact and fiction thing. Yeah, it did it pretty well. Really, really well. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that bit of it. Okay, so Archimedes is a central figure in this whole thing. He's mentioned many times in conjunction with the Antikythera device. They just went straight into it and mm-hmm. said, this is, this is who he is, and he built this thing. Yeah. He was born... In 287 BCE in Syracuse, Sicily, which is now part of Italy. It was a Greek city-state at the time, as we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. He actually died at the Battle of Syracuse in 212 BCE at 75 years old. And it's the Mm -hmm. one in the movie that that battle's taking place. Mm -hmm. There was like three different accounts from one of the famous historians of the time that said how he actually died. There was all some random Roman soldier that did it, but for various reasons. One of the ones was... He kind of just like lost himself in his laboratory and kind of forgot that the city was laid siege to and it was it was like actually was, won by the Romans. He was just there and yeah, like and Roman showed up. Roman showed up and he's like, no, I, he's like, I got to take you to the dude. And he's like, no, I got to finish my equations and my stuff first. <laughs> and the guy just like ran him through with a sword. Oh my God. And another one, he was running through the streets and taking all this stuff. And then a Roman soldier thought he had gold and stuff and ran him through with a sword. Mm. And there was a third one where... You guessed it. A Roman ran him through the sword. Through, yeah, okay. Yeah, so either way, he died there, mm-hmm. more than likely. But he definitely wouldn't have been in battle at 75. So no, he, he wasn't was in just battle. caught, in, caught yeah. in the crossfire, basically. He had invented a lot of stuff that was in that battle, but we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. Yeah. He was, I mean, mostly a mathematician, and he actually didn't give much credence to people who were inventors, despite that's what he's mostly known for now. Yeah. Yeah, so he... <laughs> Did he think they were all like frauds or something? <laughs> he just was like, it was like one of the lower sciences or things. Like <laughs> people that make stuff, that's yeah. gross. I'm, an, I'm a mathematician. Yeah. And he, so he was a mathematician inventor. His father was the astronomer Phidias, but mm-hmm. we don't actually know a lot about him because he was only mentioned in a short biography of Archimedes from the time. And there's mm-hmm. actually another biography that they think was written, but that was lost to time somehow. Mm-hmm. So we don't know anything about Phidias. So we Phidias. have references to the lost biography by later people probably is how we know about it. And we, that's how we know about the last one. Yeah. But there was a real one that mentioned his father. Oh, okay. Yep. Phidias. Yeah. So we, we have that. Mm-hmm. He was reported to have visited Egypt where he invented the Archimedes screw. He also, we'll talk about that in a second, but he also did a lot of math over there mm-hmm. and met a lot of the followers of Euclid mm-hmm. at the library of Alexandria mm-hmm. and just, you know, was, was corresponding with them through time. And, and he liked to send them his theorems, but without the proof, just to like troll him a little bit. Like he, <laughs> he, he invented a lot of math and he's like, he proved a lot of theorems, but he would just send them the, the equation and say, I solved it. Kind of yeah. like, no, 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 no. Can yeah. you do it? <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, the Archimedes screw is something that's still used to today. And in fact, we watched a show on how they, they kind of stopped the leaning tower of Pisa from falling over. Yep. They used a screw mm-hmm. to remove soil from one side that caused it to come back over the other direction. Yep. And an Archimedes screw is basically a screw in a tube and you stick one end of the tube in water and it pulls water up as you turn the screw. Ah, yeah. Okay. So they were doing that over 2000 years ago yep. with his, uh, with his invention. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. 
he wasn't famous, like I said, in his own time for his math. He wrote about it extensively, but nobody really knew about it. Mm -hmm. He was famous for his war machines, which he was kind of sad about. Mm -hmm. First, he had the light. That's pretty well known. So the the lenses and things like that. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what that was called. It's it's got optic in the name, but it's dealing with lenses and reflecting. But we basically amplify and reflect sunlight back on the ships and, and burn them from oh, and long distances away. Right, yeah. right. And that was one known in the movie. Yeah. He also had these big trebuchet-like things that would launch stuff out. And then he had these huge, similar trebuchet things that had like a claw in the end that would grab onto ships and then they'd run it back and the ships would... There were accounts from back then of seeing ships launched up into the air, people falling out of it. And the ship coming straight back down onto the rocks in the sea. Oh, wow. I mean, just to see that kind of thing over 2,000 years ago. That is so ago. destructive. Yeah. Oh my God. It was crazy. Wow. So. Well. His. Got to be known for something, I guess. I in know. a time of war. <laughs> I know. We could go on and on about Archimedes. But the one mm-hmm. last thing I'll mention to him is his most famous theorem that a lot of people have actually heard of and use, I mean, every day, mm-hmm. is called the Archimedes Principle. And that's the principle of buoyancy. Mm-hmm. So basically, he was tasked by the king at the time. Because people were passing off gold as like real gold mm-hmm. and he didn't know of an accurate way to, to actually weigh it. But he came up with the theory of water displacement. And mm-hmm. so he he came up with a way that said, well, the way you can weigh something, its weight is going to be basically kind of directly proportional to how much water it dipla- displaces. And then mm-hmm. you can calculate the weight of it because the water is pushing back up on it. And that's how you can calculate that. And he figured it out while sitting in a bathtub and famously ran down the streets naked shouting, Eureka, I figured it out. So <laughs> That's awesome. That's that's a famous Archimedes thing. We don't know if that story. actually happens, yeah. but yeah, yeah, more just a story. But mm-hmm. anyway, he did that and then made it more accurate to tell how much gold was in something because they were like diluting it, mm-hmm. you know, with other stuff mm-hmm. and it wasn't like pure gold. Yep. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's, that's cool. enough about Archimedes. There's a ton of stuff out there. We've got some resources. Go check it out. He's a pretty cool guy. Mm-hmm. Another thing I wrote down in my notes was, again, like the middle part of the movie to find the other half of the Antikythera mm-hmm. device, they said there was something called the Graphicos, and I don't know how that's spelled. I spelled it G-R-A-P-H-I-C-O-S. Mm-hmm. And I tried finding this online, and I found no mention of it in yeah. even the reviews of the movie, and no mention of it anywhere in anything online that I could find. But it was supposed to be something created by Archimedes that would that would tell you where the other half of the Antikythera device was. Because it was said in the movie that he broke it in half because it was too dangerous and powerful and Mm -hmm. why he didn't just destroy it. I don't know. And he actually wanted people to come from the future. So it doesn't make any sense, but he broke it in half and they found one half and the other half was hidden somewhere. And people thought it was in his tomb. Why he would point the direction to his own tomb was something he created was a little weird. Yeah. I thought that was odd in the movie. And yeah, like how does he know where his tomb is and how can he be sure that he'll be buried where he wants to be enough so that he makes this graphic. That's why I think what you found here about the graphicos is probably true. Which it is be. that it's not real at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more than likely. So yeah. anyway, the Graphicos says, and they lead in the movie to this, as we mentioned before, to the ear of Dionysus, this cave on the island of Sicily, mm-hmm. um, which is a real thing. I'll talk about that in a minute. But in reality, his grave was found, God, was it by Cicero? It might have been. It was 75 AD. I can't remember why. I didn't write this down. It was found by somebody who, who was like, you know, you got this famous guy and we can't find his grave. And he wanted a cylinder and some other mathematical things put on the top of his grave because mm-hmm. he wanted to be known for that. And the people of Sicily, in fact, this is written on some Sicilian websites about tourism there and how bad they are in honoring their own past. <laughs> and it was only a couple hundred years after he died and his tomb had already like gone to ruin. And oh. it was like faded and there was bushes growing all over it. It was not inside of a cave. Uh-huh. It was just out like it was in just a there. graveyard, yeah. you know, it was out somewhere and they cleaned it all up and then eventually just happened like many more times over the course of the last few thousand years. Mm. So in reality, we don't really know where his tomb is. I was just going to ask. So yeah. have, has it been lost to time again? Basically, There's, there's actually an archaeology park in Sicily where there's a Roman, it's a, called a Calabrium, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where they etched, they basically carved into limestone or it was a limestone quarry that they repurposed as like a, like a mausoleum almost. Mm-hmm. And they think that one of those might be the tomb of Archimedes, but there's no real concrete proof that it is. Yeah. And and the thing that was described as his tomb has never been found. Mm. So he could have been reburied. He could have been whatever, but mm-hmm. who knows what's going on. Um, either way, there's nothing about the Graphicos that ever existed or what the heck it might even be. Yeah. So, so made up for the movie. Completely. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what was on the Graphicos that led them to how to find him was something called the Polybius Cipher. And I'd never heard of that, which is 
I actually probably have because I've read a number of books on ciphers and coding and and not coding, but I guess encoding stuff mm-hmm. in back in the day. And it was a, a pretty well known way to, I guess, encode text, mm-hmm. right? So the Polybius cipher is a square. It's always a square, and. The interesting thing that the movie didn't quite get it right because it was a square. Yeah, it was a square. And it had these symbols on it. It did. And they were all like spread out evenly and like rows. Yeah. Yeah. And and Helena was reading it. Yeah. But that's not how you do a Polybius cipher. That's how you create. You don't don't, like take your finger across and go, this is where my tomb can be found. Well, (laughs) you actually could once you understand what you're seeing, but Uh it's not written in a grid. It can be written like a sentence. Uh, I guess it could be written in a grid, but that kind of give it away that it is a Polybius cipher. But what it is basically is you take a square five by five, six by six, if you're doing ancient Greek, apparently, um, but five, five, five (laughs) by five for the Latin alphabet, which Uh is the one we use now. Now notice that's only 25 characters. We have more letters in the alphabet than that. And because of that, they would take, one of the squares and match it up usually with I and J being in the same same one and mm. with C and K being in the same one in order to get 25 out of our alphabet. So isn't there 26, there's 26 letters, letters in, our in the alphabet? Yes. <laughs> so. Why was why were they trying to match those two up? Oh, I think it was either or. Oh, they would do one or the other. Either an okay. I or J or a C or okay. K. Yeah. That yeah. math wasn't working out. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, you just find like A would be at one one. So in order to represent A, you'd write the number 11. B would be at one two. Uh, you know, so you've got one, two, three, four, five down one side, one, two, three, four, five on the other side. Okay. In order to make this more complicated, you could start with a different square that actually has a phrase that doesn't repeat letters uh-huh. and then say, like you would write the word Polybius cipher without repeating letters somehow uh-huh. and then finish that with the remaining letters in the alphabet. And then now, now where the letters are, that's where you're. Coordinates That's are. Where, so okay, you, so you so can you mix need, up the letters basically to make it more complicated. You would need to know the key phrase, yeah. otherwise you wouldn't be able to unmix them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point is, there's no way Helena would be able to read that. No. <laughs> Even like if they're very specific to who like put it together. Right. Now, <laughs> if you knew the basic Polybius cipher without any sort of shuffling of the letters, uh-huh. if you just memorized like A is eleven, B is twelve, yeah, you know, C is thirteen, yeah, you could actually read it, yeah, if you got that good. Mm-hmm. But she was reading out this whole thing, and there was only a it, handful of characters. And on it, there. it was like Greek letters too. It wasn't well. It was a Polybius cipher with the Greek alphabet. Yeah. So, yeah. but she made the assumption that it was the basic Polybius cipher, and it mm. wasn't. wasn't it's anything like else. she had the code, but not a phrase to decode with. Well, she, it it's may almost, not have been. It may not have had a phrase. It may have been just a basic cipher. Yeah. But the fact that she read it like she was reading any yeah, old book. Yeah, that part didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense. No. And that's yeah, yeah. That's where you have to just like let that right. go with a story like this, though, because the storytelling yeah. piece of it was effective. Because she, yeah, we talked about it in the first segment. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this thing has been used for a long time, but it's actually a really easy code to break if mm-hmm. you know what you're doing, because uh, they call it frequency analysis. That's one of the ways you can break codes. Mm-hmm. You can say, you know, you can think of common words. That have double letters and pairings and things like that. Oh. And you can look for those pairings. Yeah. Any code that has actual representations, they just are a different thing to represent something. Yeah. Is problematic because of frequency analysis. Yeah. Yeah. Once you start nailing one or two words down, that's how we've decoded hieroglyphics yeah. and in lots of languages, but yep. by looking at, you know, those types of things. Once you know like one word, you know when the Rosetta Stone was found and they had three different languages on there. Mm-hmm. If you know one, you're gonna know the you others. Know all of you're gonna yeah. figure it out. Yeah. So anyway, that's the Polybius cipher. The cave of Dionysus, otherwise known as the ear of Dionysus, is an actual real place that's on TripAdvisor. Oh really? And in a lot of different things. Oh that's cool. It's a teardrop in shape. The one that they had in the movie is the actual one that, oh, okay. that exists. I'm yeah. assuming they went there or they reconstructed it, yeah. but it looks like they went there. Yeah. It has really famous acoustic properties. Another thing that's the same from the movie. Uh-huh. They said that you actually go through that ear down into this big cavern down below that's about 72 feet below the ground. Mm-hmm. And then from the opening, you can hear sounds down there like they're very well amplified. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's that's why it's called the ear of Dionysus. Now, mm-hmm. Dionysus is not the Greek god or Roman god, I guess, of wine. It was actually the name of a king back then. Oh. And that king ruled Syracuse from 432 to 367 BC. And it was rumored that he put prisoners down in there and then would sit up at top and listen to them whispering about him. <laughs> so that's mostly not true, though. Uh, the oh, reason but that's a great story, though. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And the reason it's mostly not true is the language doesn't come through that clear. It's muffled and, yeah. and it doesn't sound that right yeah. that way. But somebody was quoted from thousands of years ago saying, well, a couple thousand years ago saying, 
if you like tear a piece of paper down there, I guess mm-hmm. not a couple thousand, but if you tear a piece of paper in there, it sounds like hitting a stick against a rock really loudly. Oh, okay. Like it's just super crazy amplified. Yeah. Huh. So it was actually named by Caravaggio, the Italian painter. Mm. It used to be called something else, I guess, but he renamed it <laughs> after okay. Dionysus. So because of that story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. That's pretty much it. The movie ends shortly after that, and Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot we can say. We could have gone into the Battle of Syracuse, but maybe that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. I imagine they represented that relatively accurately, aside from the World War II bomber and the parachutists. (laughs) Well, now you're getting into spoilers again. Yeah, well, either way. (laughs) So, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that's pretty much it. This has kind of run a little bit long, but not too bad. Mm -hmm. And we hope you go see the movie and let us know what you thought about it. What do you rate this movie on a scale of one to ten? Yeah. And how do you order the movies? How do you order the movies? That's actually more interesting, I think, to me. We'll have to like put our our order of the movies in the show notes or something like that. That's right. (laughs) All right. With that, we're out and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. And was edited by Chris Webster and Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.